Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Maddie P Presents Saturday Morning Serial. I'm Grim Shea. Joining me as always is Marky. Say hi, Marky. Hello, everybody. And uh, you are in luck, dear dear listeners. I know. This is a good one. Today we, uh, we are going to uh, unleash from the vault the raw entire interview with screen legend Lee Merriweather. I know. Uh, which, which ties in very well with uh, something I want to talk about today, Marky, before we get to that, uh, something about specifically Catwoman yeah. and also uh, generally well, uh, that, that big mystery uh, known as women. Yeah, and then it's, and to be more specific, it's, it's women in our popular culture, in this, in this geek pop culture. Uh, Marky, you went to WonderCon the other week, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, it was, man, it might have been, might have been a month ago. I don't know. I don't remember. But yes, I was there. Well, yes, you, yeah. you do have memories. Well, I know because we were just uh, we we got to talking about it the other day. Yeah, you saw that. you saw this this offensive T-shirt. Yeah, and it was it was funny that it it brought up such um, illicit emotions, if you will. Yeah, it's it, it is impressive. But and apparently you weren't the only one. There's right. Well, a, there's been a big flap about this, and but I personally I was surprised that you were offended by a T-shirt. Um, I well, thought, when you just said, oh, and there was this T-shirt that was just horrible, and I was, I was thinking you were going to say, you know, it was a, be- it was like a kid drawing of Spider-Man or something, but uh, it was, uh, <laughs> no, it, it was, it was, it tell, was not a poorly us, tell, done. Tell us about this T-shirt. Well, you know, and I don't, I'm not sure if I was necessarily offended by it, but I just, I thought it had no place, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the actual shirt, it was a black shirt, and uh, I hope I get this right, but it said. I, I remember. I I, I, I take like I take my fangirls fan like I like my coffee. Not at all. Oh no, I I, I hate coffee. coffee. Yeah. yeah. So I like my really fangirls. Very good joke anyway. So just to clear that up, I like my fangirls. No, I take my fangirls. I like my fan. I like my fangirls like I like my coffee. I hate coffee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a little so, picture of a spilled cup of coffee. Yeah. It was uh, probably selling for thirty bucks, and it, it just was, wasn't worth two. Yeah. And you know, and this guy had another shirt kind of next to it that was. I think it was fanboys, you know, so he actually at the same time just I think he said the same thing about the, the boys, too. I, something reminds me of that. Um, but that's not the thing that really stuck to me. You know, like it was that he would basically just try. And I'm saying he because um, it does appear that the the owners of this, it was it was a guy. Um, if you Google the scenario, it's it's all this information's out there. Uh, but, yeah, he. You know, he created this shirt, and it's a, it was. He said that he was trying to divide um, 
the real fans from the fake fans. Oh, so and that's, that's exactly the sentiment that, just, I, that kind of that rubs me wrong. Uh, about I hated it. I hated it. I was not offended by it because I, you know, I'm not a fangirl, but I hated it. I hate that you would go out there and you would try to to say you can be here and you cannot be here. Mm. That is that is the antithesis. Yeah, it's of what we are there to do. It's not a, yeah, it's it's not <laughs> like Comic-Con and WonderCon and all these are everybody sitting around holding hands singing kumbaya or anything, but it's it you're allowed to be there. You're invited to be there. It's supposed to be a big open culture. Right. Exactly. It is a open culture and a lot of the people that do frequent those, you know, those those conventions, you know, we are the outcasts. You know, if we can't go there and be welcomed, yeah, you know, yeah. we have nowhere else to go. You know, this is, we found each other, and we created this space, and now we have some jerk making some yeah. shirt yeah, get, that, get says, your blood up. that says you that. can't come. All right, put put the lamp down. I'm gonna hit this. All right, it's, uh, this and well, and you're not alone. Our good friend of the show, uh, Travis Langley, yeah. picked up on this. He saw that too. I think tweeted a picture of it. That's how I to see what it was. That's right. Yes, you you were usually just whipped into such a, a furious frenzy you couldn't describe it well. And I, I, I don't even, blame you. I didn't even take a picture of it because I didn't want people to think that I liked it. You oh. know what I mean? Like I'm like, oh, look at this shirt. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know. That's good. That's yeah. good. You shouldn't give it attention. Although it's exactly what we're doing now. But let's just swallow that and move on because. Well, but it, it it that got us talking to uh, to each other about uh, fangirls in particular. You know, I guess we should probably even try and stop using that term. But but well, women in in this culture in the cons in yeah. the you know because half the uh, people I think my age growing up uh, turned out to be girls and they were watching the same cartoons <laughs> yeah. eating the same cereals me so there's there's no reason to not include them but then there's got to be some differences for sentiments like these to come up and someone somewhere thinks it's marketable yeah I, you know I just think but some... are, I mean but what are the differences. Between a, between a fangirl and then between, the guys? Between, between the men and the women in this culture. Um, I mean, because yeah. should, we, should we acknowledge the differences? Well, I, I, think, um, I, I think we should celebrate differences, right? I think that's a well good put, thing, well okay? Um, but I think what you're getting at is it, do we celebrate these things differently from each other? And the answer is no. You know, we come at it in our own unique ways, whether we're boys or girls, it doesn't matter. And you're welcome here. You know, uh, and I cannot, you know, I really won't, if, if a guy was wearing that shirt in a party that I was throwing, you know, he would have to defend it. You know, he would have to explain what the hell he means by that. You know, it, it's, you know, we can't, it, and it's, it's odd that I would, <laughs> I'm basically saying everyone's welcome except you who wears this jackass shirt, you know, <laughs> and you put me in this position to make me a, a hypocrite now, you know, like, oh, you know, complex reasoning. It, it is, it's, it, it is, but you know, like thorny issue. we do have to draw the line, you know, and it's just like, look, we don't, we don't have many places where we can get together like this at this kind of scale with mm-hmm. this much attention and riches and, <laughs> and we finally get to do it. And then this kind of thing surfaces the other, um, see, and when I saw the shirt, like I really thought that it was only me that kind of, had an issue, right? Like, I didn't really think about it. You know, I was just like, I think I told you and you were kind of it. Um, but um, I didn't really 
I didn't really process it enough, you know, to really form any kind of opinion outside of myself. I didn't think of what this meant in like the grander scale. And then I started to see that other people kind of saw it and they kind of, you know, they took a side, you know, with this. Uh, and most of it was negative. There was this one article done by this fella uh, and he kind of writes about how, you know, how does, how does this shirt play out for his daughter's future? You know, she, she's a wallflower. She is shy, you know, she doesn't fit into places. She just got into a new school and, you know, she, because of her connection and how close she is with her father, she has attached herself to the geek culture, like, you know, comic heroes and things like that. And she finally feels that she, she, you know, she has a passion about something and she, you know, she'll like dress up, she'll read the comics, she'll watch the movies, and then she'll go to a place like WonderCon where it's fantastic and wonderful and colorful. And there's a guy that says you can't be here. Mm, yeah. You know, and and he was actually coming from it from a father trying to protect his little girl. Yeah. I I think you're referring to uh, Greg Rucka. Of, Greg Rucka, that's uh, yeah, right. a big time uh, comic book artist, like an industry figure. Yeah. This wasn't this wasn't even just your average Joe and his daughter, uh, whose opinion you're allowed to just discount immediately. Th that was a this moving is a guy who's trying to speak on behalf right. of the people responsible for a lot of the culture. And I, I applaud him for this article. It was passionate. I thought it was beautiful. Uh, it got me thinking about that stuff, you know. And, again, I, I was there. I saw it. It bothered me. I didn't really think much of it at the time. But it does have these effects. And there's really just kind of no place for it. Yeah. Well, and, and which brings me back to, uh, you know, to talking about women in general in this culture. Yeah. The, because, uh, as you say, we have to celebrate the differences. Mm -hmm. But – also included in this package where you have the differences means that, that we as men are never going to really understand what it's like for women to be in this culture, what it all, what the, right. all the little details require and what they've got to worry about as compared to what I can just bulldoze through. Uh, and, and I guess, I guess asking whether or not that's fair is kind of beside the point. It's really yeah. nothing you can do to balance fair in the in the grand scheme. Well, I I think if if you just approach these things as an all inclusive club, you really just can't go wrong, you know. And that goes down from, uh, you know. But in all inclusive or not, there's still admittedly differences between the men and the women, and we've got to strive to understand them. Yes, we, we want them to understand us better, of course. Well, but I, we we should we should work to understand them, and I and for that reason we uh, we picked Catwoman. Yes. we said let's just you know instead of uh, trying to figure out an archetype, let's just go for one that exists, and we chose Catwoman. One might think you'd go for Wonder Woman, right off the top of your head, kind of a proto-feminist character, uh, strong on her own. She came out on her own universe and everything, uh, but. She's more more like a regular superhero, I think, in my mind, who just happens to be a woman. They don't. I, I agree. I, I don't know how much goes into it, and it just makes for a different uh, different kind of discussion. So, I voted for Catwoman, and I'll tell you why. Go ahead. She is, even though she kind of uh, was sprung forth from Batman's world, albeit very early on. Uh, she was written to be like the the op the antithesis again of, of Batman. Right. 
to be where Batman is is uh, grim and sober, and uh, you barely see him under his cape and his cowl. Uh, Catwoman is out there laughing and enjoying herself, and and entrenched in moral ambiguity, and uh, and and she's written. I'm this 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 is the early male comic book mind painting a woman exactly based off of what they've already created as yep. a man so i think it's interesting to explore that and where it goes uh and then it turns out uh marky you and i don't know a whole hell of a lot about her as a character well right we you know we accept her as you know batman well we we have always approached and... the the whole purpose of this show is to is to bring a little light to the things that we grew up watching mm-hmm and how that has that has that has grown up with us, and now we're watching it again. You know, there was Catwoman and The Dark Knight Rises recently. Um, some would say a very different view or a very different, you know, um, very different a different uh, take a different on take the, on the uh, character. And you know, many others would say, and I, ma- I, many I, others I always, would say it's not. Yeah, you know? I kind of wondered if that's how she was written in the early times. Me too. I wondered the same thing. To Michelle Pfeiffer or something. You know, and so. Um, you know, we're just we're just two like normal guys that like this stuff, and we're just trying to get caught up in it again. Yeah. You know, it it has it has grown up so fast. Yeah. And everything you know? we thought we knew turns out isn't a whole lot as compared to the <laughs> exactly. complete canon to what's that out, is there. out there. Right. Right now. And so because we didn't know this, you know, because we we have more questions than we have answers, and because we need to bring some purpose to why the hell we're here right now. Oh, <laughs> sing it, brother. You Let's tell, get an expert out did. here. Let's get somebody that knows what the hell he's talking about. Exactly. So and, we got on the horn with our good friend of the show, Dr. Travis Langley, Ph.D., uh, an actual honest-to-God superheroist, superheroist, superheroist. I think it's superheroist. Dr. Travis Langley, Ph.D., um, superfan and an uber-expert. Uh, and we started picking his brain about it, especially because he he weighed in on the internet about the uh, about the t-shirt in question Strongly. as well. Yeah. So take a listen to this because he, he knows a lot more than we do. Yeah. Meanwhile, and we are talking to our old friend of the show, Dr. Travis Langley, Ph.D. Dr. Langley, how are you? I'm doing well. For those who don't know, uh, Doctor, an expert in uh, not not pop psychology, but the psychology behind some pop culture. Uh, And one of his fortes are the, uh, the rogues gallery uh, and, uh, and the various uh, real mental uh, conditions behind some of these iconic uh, characters from comics and movies and television shows and all our childhoods. And we thought we would try and pick his brain on the subject of Catwoman today. Are you ready, doctor? Always. I, I'm always ready to talk about superheroes, supervillains, and everything that goes with them. Oh, see, and the fan shines through. I love that about you. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Well, well. First of all, let's. I want to start with uh, you know, uh, as a casual fan, what I think is the obvious question: uh, What is Catwoman's deal? Is she a villain? Is she a hero? Or is this is she unique in this uh, sort of in between role? Well, she's whatever a writer makes her at the time. She's been all of the above. She has spent a, the majority of the last couple of decades as, as something of an anti-hero. 
you know, the thief who's also doing good and, and fighting villains, and sticking up for the underprivileged. That's her big thing. But, you know, she is also the thief. She was, you know, originally created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, mainly Bill Finger, uh, to be, you know, a, a different kind of criminal, to bring in a woman, someone who would bring some variety, what was going on with Batman, to be a love interest, but one that he couldn't actually be a couple with. Uh, and it worked really well, although the, the writers, they kept changing their minds about what to do with her. That's been there from the very beginning. It's like, well, let's make her a little less criminal. Let's make her a little less. No, let's make her more criminal. And they've, they've always gone back and forth because it's a tough, it's, you've got a character who's walking that line and has always been walking that line. The, you know, the, the Joker has always been evil and maniacal and un, unquestionably a villain. Uh, and Batman, even at his darkest, uh, and you know, they even play with that concept, but he is always the penultimate hero. And so, yeah, I thought maybe you know, her, her, her Robin Hood kind of uh, roots would make her a unique role, but you are right. She just sort of whatever they need at the moment. Uh, I think even in the 70s, she spent some time as like like a murderer, like an outright well, bad or there, there was a story or two in the 70s where she killed someone, and they decided, oh, whoa, 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 she doesn't do that stuff. That, those stories took place in Earth B. Yeah, those stories took place in Woman. She didn't do that stuff. But the Out of West TV show, honestly. That's where you see about the most murderous Catwoman ever, although she didn't kill anybody. She kept trying to. There's this line that Julie Newmar just loved where, you know, Catwoman is talking to Batman about how, you know, they should just, you know, be together. And, you know, she, she, could, she could join him as his partner. And he's like, well, what about Robin? She's like, oh, Robin, oh, I know, we'll kill him. Uh, just for <laughs> like that she had no idea what the point was. So... I'd say that was the most villainous. And really, she she was a little more wholesome with Lee, but she was still she was more indifferent uh, to guys like Adam. And then Eartha Kitt, she was a meaner Catwoman. But all three of them, whether they're all supposed to be the same character or not, the, the Catwoman of the Adam West TV show and film, uh, that's about the most villainous you ever see the villainess. Yeah, it, it um, they they also seem to be kind of on their on their own kind of bad and evil. Like they they don't really get a chance to like get like to give you any of the backstory in those particular films. Whereas you, if you go to the Michelle Pfeiffer version, you know, in Batman Returns in uh, 1992, uh, you know, she actually had there was a reason for her madness and the reason why she kind of turned. Um, I don't think that you had that kind of context in the 1960s with the, with the Catwoman character. No, in the 1960s version, there was good, there was evil, and there was very little gray area because of that campy take that they were doing. There were good guys and there were bad guys. And with most of them, you didn't even have a real name for the, char- for the villains. You know, the Penguin's not Oswald Coppelpot. He was the Penguin. The Riddler was not mm-hmm. Edward Nigma. The, the Catwoman, she was not Selena Kyle, and, and so forth. Very few of them had real names. The, hat, the Mad Hatter was Jervis Tetch, I just because, I guess it was because of a weird name they wanted to say. And, and the King Tut, he, the King Tut had a, a, an alternate 
uh, persona because he went back and forth with it whenever he got bunked on the head. But uh, otherwise, <laughs> yeah. no, it was very clear. And even with King Tut, it's like he's either the good guy or he's the bad guy, depending on that bunk on the head. No gray area. And that's and that was they were kind of well comics uh, when they first started being uh, demonized, you know, for uh, for leading uh, a whole generation of young men astray. Uh, <laughs> and there were you know uh, during the the McCarthy era, there were even Senate hearings about you know possibly bringing regulation to it. And then yeah. that's when the uh, the Comic Code Authority came about uh, back in I think it was 1954. And that's also when, you know, it's like sort of to establish there's always going to be a bad guy who's very bad and you don't want his life and he gets punished in every episode. But it also came along with some kind of uh, Puritan sort of uh, uh, sexuality uh, they like muted codes, it. yeah, right. to yeah. Where, which essentially took Catwoman just out of the comics for over a decade, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, she vanished for 10 years. When Lee Merriweather and I were doing a convention panel, uh, one time I mentioned about how Catwoman had vanished from the comics for more than 10 years. She had not even known that, that Catwoman had uh, been gone until right about the time of the TV show. And, yeah. and th- that, was, that was basically because she was too sexy, right? That's one of the, t- the two main things. One was that you can't have a criminal who's having fun, and the other was that you, you can't have characters be too sexy, and Catwoman just didn't fit into any of that. And so the, out goes Catwoman, and in comes Batwoman as the good girl, the heroine to work with Batman. And it, and it just, it was very trite. Batwoman and Batman, well, why can't they be a real couple with Catwoman and Batman? They have this line of law that was keeping them apart, and you could have this ongoing tension. And you knew why they couldn't just be a couple, because they weren't on the same side. But with Batwoman, well, why don't they just take off the mask and, when they're alone and, and actually be a couple? And it's like, no, no, we've got to wait until we won our war on crime. And it was just ridiculous. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. Yeah. And I think that's why to this day there's still no talk of a Batwoman feature film. Yeah. No. no. And, and, and the, modern, the modern Batwoman is a completely different character. The modern Batwoman got brought in as one with a similar name, but as, you know, Kate Kane, who's the, the red-headed lesbian. So that's not as a love interest for Batman at all. Looking back at that kind of parallax where they felt, you know, instead of, uh, you, know, you know, neutering the Catwoman character, they just uh, come out with a Batwoman instead to fit the mm-hmm. code. Would that make Catwoman kind of like a proto-feminist, you know, as much as a uh, a fictional character can be? It varied. Uh, for the most part, yeah, but they'd already been kind of neutering her before that anyway. Uh, during the years, because again, I say during that first decade when they were playing around with the character, they didn't always know what to do with her, and so they they they, they decided to reform her. They had her you know, have some kind of head injury and find out, oh, she was really this good girl, Selena Kyle, finally using her real name, who had had amnesia and then just went villainous, and now that her amnesia's over, she's going to be a good girl, and so she's just going to be Catwoman and be on the side of good, until one day she got mad at Batman and went, became a villain again. So it was very muddled. 
And mm. it, it actually worked out for her that she just kind of went away during that period of the late 50s. Yeah, and came back, uh, luckily, just in time for the show, at the very least. Uh, you know, Although, to... when, they brought, when they brought her back, they again, they didn't know what to do with her. They're doing the, these stories where, you know, she's attacking Batgirl because she thinks it'll be a rival for Batman's affection because Catwoman wants to marry Batman. And Batgirl's approach is basically, uh, he's a friend of my dad's. Ew, no. But uh, <laughs> Catwoman, is she's just wanting to marry him, it's like, oh, yeah, because in the, the Silver Age, they're all talking about, you know, wanting to marry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, in the, in the 70s, Len Wein brought her back. A lot of people say wine because it looks like it, but I've heard him say it. It's Wein. Len Wein brought her back and had her date Bruce Wayne, become involved with Batman, try to reform as you know, it, it, part of the natural growth of the character, and have mixed success with it. Well, that, that, that at least sounds like the most interesting thing that they've done with her. It I was. Mean, I honestly think from, from when Len Wein did that with her, that playing around with her as a character, as a person, weighing the issues of what side am I on. I just had the magic back in the early 50s of, oh, it was a bunk on the head or a plane mm. crash or whatever it was. Uh, he was. He was actually weighing the nature of the character. And from then on, people would play around with this character as a person trying to decide what side am I on. And there are people in real life who do have to decide what side they're on and will have trouble with it. You know, someone who's living in a neighborhood where you have to deal with the gangs that are in the neighborhood and you have to deal with the police and you're not necessarily just on one side or the other. There are some people who are dealing with them both. Yeah, that, that ambiguity is kind of so central to the, to the human experience that uh, you know, if you mm -hmm. look at the original uh, Comic Code Authority, and some of those guidelines just they, they turn uh, the comic book medium from uh, a form of expression to just propaganda. And you know, mm -hmm. luckily it did over the years. It relaxed enough so that you could tell stories. You know, not not glamorizing crime, but pointing out the fact that crime is just the other side of the coin. You know, not to go into a two face rant or anything, mm -hmm. but. But that, that, and and by the way, I know this this code it's uh, became so defunct gone. that they finally just gave up yeah, on it gone. a couple of years ago. Uh, although growing up, I do remember that symbol on all yeah, my comics. Too. I know that symbol was there. It was a big deal when there would be the occasional issue without that symbol. Yeah, the unrated version, so to speak, <laughs> back back in the day. Well, no, there, there there was a there was a actual fear that reading comics led to you know this deviancy you know that it it like inspired you know like young criminals and crime and it like and it made like the boys sexual deviance you know they were burning comic books in texas and oklahoma and things like that i mean it was just really out there kind of you know kind of kind of stuff there was real concerns for this stuff i mean we all i mean i i think it's complete you know garbage but <laughs> but you know it's it's just it's crazy how much that that influenced um these characters and I, I actually wonder, uh, Dr. Langley, I, I also attended uh, WonderCon, and I saw the famous T-shirt that got everybody kind of worked up. It said, for, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, there was a shirt that this vendor was selling that said, uh, I take my fangirls like my coffee, I hate coffee. 
And I'm sure you remember that, Dr. Langley. <laughs> I saw the shirt. Yeah, I saw yeah. and just stared. And right. I, just, I, I couldn't believe it. I'm rereading it. And all the, the people who had the shirt, they would even go, well, we also have a I like my fanboys like I like my coffee shirt. And that's not what people stirred up over. Yeah, yeah, they can say that. But it wasn't what was out there and obvious and in the open. That that fan girl shirt was what was obvious and out there, right central on their on their boots. So they they can act innocent like it, but no, it, it was even so. It's not the same complaint. It's, it's not. not the same objection. Either one is a horrible thing to say, but the fan girl, you know, the complaints people make about the women who are fans. They're not just complaining about them being fans. It is a very, it is a different issue, a long list of issues that are involved in the complaint, and a whole lot of it is the complaint about the the fake fan. Like anybody gets to judge, you know, the purity of someone else's fanhood. Right, and and you know, it, it if if you relate it to Catwoman and and how she can kind of be a current um, um, rep for that kind of mentality as, you know, when, when she was first written by Bob Kane, I, I actually have this quote here somewhere, but, you know, he was actually, um, he actually created her because he wanted a, a cat because cats were, you know, unattached. Bill, Bill, right. Bill, Bill, chose, Bill chose the cat theme. And there was a, there, they, they did this because, you know, they kind of wanted the, the the anti-Batman, you know, the opposite of what right. of what Batman stood for, and they saw women and with and those traits that many would uh, would deem sexist uh, to kind of build the original Catwoman. And over the years, you know, she has evolved as our um, acceptance of women in this particular genre has also evolved. You know, she has grown. And our appreciation for women in this world, you know, in this universe, has also kind of come along with it. Um, I thought that it was uh, it was it was brought out very heavily by the by the the image of that T-shirt and just all the reaction and all this and all you know it, it just got a rise out of everybody very very equally. You know, there was really just no place for it anymore. This is old school thinking. Well, also, I think this culture is so against uh, anything exclusionary. There are plenty of cultures out there that are based directly on exclusionary practices, but, you know, the the idea of pop culture and comics always always being a haven, you know. If you get excluded from every other one, you're not going to be excluded from this. Right. So now to to see that sentiment trying to creep its way in through a T-shirt and a vending stand, very disheartening. Yes, and, uh, and, that, does, allow... and that does go back to the nature of the character Catwoman herself. There are gangsters that Catwoman robbed simply because she had felt left out of the boys' club. She has this, this big, you know, frustration and anger, and you know, she's big on taking things like that out and sticking it because the character of Catwoman is normally presented as somebody who has come from the lower class in Gotham. And and has a bit resentment toward the exclusionary attitudes of anybody else, like, which is exactly what this T-shirt did. Yeah. <laughs> it just completely, yeah, uh, yeah. It, you know, this is a treehouse, and they're going to put a sign that says "Girls Stay Out." You know, that's really what this shirt did, and it's. I just found it to be ridiculous, and you know, I'm 
I'm, I'm glad to be on your side of this particular one. Um, let's let's kind of let's use this opportunity um, to talk about Bill Finger a little bit. Um, I know that this is something that you're very passionate about. Um, for those of you out there that don't that that have not heard yet, Bill Finger is the uncredited co-creator of Batman and many of the traits and characters that Batman um, is known for, namely Joker, Riddler, Penguin, and Catwoman. Um, you kind of touched among, on it a little many. bit. Uh, yeah, among many. I mean, he created the Batmobile, Gotham City, you know, just kind of the whole look of Batman. Um, and there's this movement right now. Dr. Langley's a, a part of it. Um, but can you talk a little bit about, you know, what kind of went into the, the creation of the Catwoman character and what's Bill Finger's role in this? Well, yes, Bill had been central with Batman from the very beginning, although at the very beginning, Nashville didn't know about it. Before Bob Kane ever signed his first contract, Bill had already made substantial contributions to Batman, and it doesn't sound like he got paid for that first weekend's work, so I don't think Bill ever gave up his legal rights. And he was always involved, and and Nashville found out kind of early that he was involved. Bob was using ghost writers and then ghost artists. And Bill wrote most of the earliest stories and then kept writing until Bob got mad at him in in 1965 on Catwoman. Bob said that he wanted a female character as kind of a love interest. But even Bob said that Bill chose the cat theme, and Bill uh, came up with many of the qualities of that character. And then other artists would have defined the look along the way. So uh, if Bill is the one who bought in the cat theme and wrote the stories, then that would indicate that Bill was really the one who mainly created the character. Hmm. Okay. But All right. Bob, I'll give him credit. Yeah. But, and, you, and you even go in auto, Bob's own autobiography. He said that Bill chose the cat theme. And then Bob and it, speculated on why. And I, and I heard Bob in interviews at other time also refer to Bill having said the cat theme. You know, once it once the world knew that uh, Bill Finger had been involved, uh, Bob you know couldn't deny it and had to acknowledge it to some degree. But Bob's autobiographer Tom Andre is a big big hero in the entire thing for having gotten Bob to acknowledge Bill as much as he did in the autobiography in the first draft that Bob had written entirely by himself, you've got one sentence after another in which the subject of the sentence is the letter I, just I, 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 on and on. Mm-hmm. And Tom is, come on, people in the industry know about Bill. You're, you're, I, don't, I know he didn't word it this way, but he basically said, you're going to look like a big dick if you don't uh, just acknowledge <laughs> Bill on something. And, well, and, and so you do, know, like, there wasn't, like, there was... There was not one single creator of pretty much anything in comics, right? I mean, everybody has help no. along the way. You know, it's just it's it's ridiculous that Bob Kane just says this is all mine. You know, everybody has a crew yeah. and help and all this stuff. But if you see Bob in interviews, you see interviews that he did. He would keep saying that when I created the characters back then, don't say I created the characters. He he would come off so much better if you just say he's the man who had the original name Batman, who wanted to have a hero without powers, and had this great ability for spotting talent 
and recruiting Bill Finger and Jerry Robinson and George mm-hmm. Russo's and others who were involved early on. Bob could be remembered so much better, uh, but he was so insecure. He, was, he, he had that kind of narcissism that very full of himself and, and, and genuinely, but uh, very insecure about it. All right. Well, this would be a total missed opportunity if I didn't stop you right now and put you on the spot and ask you to tell me which uh, character from the Rogues Gallery Bob Kane actually is. <laughs> which character is Bob Kane? <laughs> yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure he's represented yeah, in this narcissism <laughs> and this insecurity. Which which one is he? Nail him down for me. Gosh, I don't think no specific villain pops in my head. Uh, so a, a lot of the times, Bob would think Bill had based some things on Bob, and Bill would say, "No, I didn't." In the few interviews that he did, so because you know Bob wasn't the one creating these, I don't see that in terms of any of the major villains, uh, Bill was basing them on Bob. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So yeah, yeah. I, you know, if it oh, was me, oh, 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 I would wait, do it. Wait. One, one comes to mind. Um, the the early on the earliest depiction of Two Face. Oh, this is telling too. Ooh, I mean, Two Face. Of course. Uh, of but course. the earliest depiction of Two Face, the Harvey Kent, as he was originally called. Um, the the Kane. Gosh, yeah. It's like yeah. He was he was really full of himself, and there <laughs> I do see a bit more of Bob Kane and how Bill was writing Two Face at the very beginning. Huh. And, uh, and, right, and you know, fingers he, revenge. <laughs> fingers revenge. Let's all raise a finger to. I'm, I'm sorry, I've, it's hard for me not to. Uh, do. You couldn't not uh, do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, you know, just so that I, I don't want to get off this topic too soon. Um, where is the Bill Finger um, uh, um, movement going? Like where? Where is it now? Is it? I mean, are we going to get to see Bill Finger's name on the new Gotham series that is coming out? I mean, after all, he did name the city Gotham, from what yeah. I'm able to find out. And is this no, is no. any of this like a financial uh, campaign, or is this strictly because the man deserves the recognition? Well, the fans and all, we're we're campaigning on the credit, and uh, logically, there should be a financial issue as well. I mean, he's got you know his granddaughter Athena. And her son Ben, you know, they, Athena has acknowledged publicly that they've lived at the poverty level. Athena teaches adjunct and tutors, and if you know what adjunct instruction at a, a small college is, it's not good. Um, she's been without a computer for months because she can't afford to replace the one that she has. So this is where they are. And for the man who came up with most of what we think of as Batman, a character known to the majority of people on the planet, and for the Bill Estate, Bill Finger Estate, to really be what we're calling it, but that, but you know, there's not much of anything to it. Uh, that's that's just abominable. Uh, but you know, if the fans, the focus has to be on the credit. You know, we we would hope that you know, if we we get the credit, something else goes with it. But that'll be. You know, with Warner and DC and what they'll they'll do on that. Yeah, there's teams but of lawyers behind name, that his name, now. His, yeah, his name needs to show up on that show Gotham. You know, it needs to show up in the Batman Superman movie. It needs to be there. Too many people know, and it makes DC and Warner look bad. Even though it's not up to them, they can't single-handedly make the change in the credit. It's a contractual issue uh, with the Kane family. So. 
DC and Warner need to see, they need to take action and negotiate a change in this. But you know, it takes the fans to really push. There is a Facebook page. We're, we're kind of treating this as a position. Every single person who is listening to this, go to the Facebook page. Look up Credit Bill Finger, and it's a longer name than that. It says Credit Bill Finger for co-creating Batman and, and naming Gotham. But just look up Credit Bill Finger, uh, find it on Facebook, and go like it right now. Pause Let's this do it right now. Go listen. Go, 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 <laughs> like, go like that page. That's your way of saying he deserves the credit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it is. Um, I believe the the first that I had heard of this was when we talked to you end of last year, and I just, mm-hmm. I was, I had no idea. You know, I know enough about Batman to know Bob Kane. You know, I know that name. That name is in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, when I've started doing a little bit of the, uh, you know, reading for this. You know, uh, Bill Finger's name, it shows up in the wiki pages for Catwoman. It shows up in, you know, for Batman. And, you know, he wrote the first um, uh, uh, issue number 27 in 1939. That was the first time Batman was in a comic. He wrote the, um, the, the first issue, number one of Batman. You know, that's, that's also his script. You know, so he is getting credit, but he doesn't get official co-creator credit. And that's where we're all trying to... You know, we are we we stand behind you on this one. This is ridiculous that he's not on there already. Well, also I will say, speaking again on behalf of the somewhat more casual fans, uh, you know, everyone on the planet knows who Batman is, mm-hmm. and I think a very small uh, portion of those people know who Bob Kane is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that could be very true as of up to just a few years ago. But now, as time is going on, and this is becoming like a like a it's a movement, a movement, yeah. uh, uh, almost a, a scandal. It's a, yeah. yeah, that brings both names to the forefront. I now know who Bob Kane and right. Bill Finger are, and I know Bill Finger wrote Batman. He helped create that character. And if he had gotten credit right out of the starting gate back in you know nineteen thirty eight or whatever. <laughs> I probably wouldn't know that now. It would yeah. just be a simple fact that I could have taken for granted my whole life. Yeah. So I, I guess we're finding a little, uh, you know, light at the end of the tunnel here. But yeah, we, we definitely need to get Bill Finger on there. So let's raise your finger to the Bob Kane family. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry, okay. two I keep is, is too too many. <laughs> let's go back. Let's talk about Lee Merriweather for a second. Oh, um, actually, I, Lee is oh, wonderful. Sorry. I think I think the I think the world of Lee. Uh, I've done two convention panels with her, and I've hung out with her at some other times. And I've I've actually got uh, her her card uh, with her contact inf- information and my Rolodex. But it's like I'm not going to call Lee whenever I've had reason to get in touch with her. <laughs> I I email her through her daughter. I just feel weird about the idea of calling her. Uh, so, and we'll probably do more panels together sometimes. She's brought that up. We did uh, a panel about Batman's love life one year, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm not sure what the topic was the other time she joined us. Um, but, uh, yeah, she is, she's darling. She is sharp and bright-eyed and, and so friendly, and, and she has such a wonderful, wonderful uh, history and career. And, it, and she, she's a nice person. Uh, she's incredibly nice. It's, she is, yeah. yeah. When we got to talk to her, we would not let her off the phone, <laughs> and she was so gracious about it. But, I mean, a lifetime of of amazing stories 
you know, she talks about everything from, I think, meeting Marilyn Monroe to working with, you know, uh, with, with some of the greatest actors. Uh, and then a little bit we talked about Catwoman, and she was so, so willing to gracious. do that. So gracious uh, right. about it. Whereas I'm sure if it was something I had done 40 years ago, I would politely tell me to go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, like, um, you know, we... If if you were to bring up, you know, her name, Eartha Kitt, Julie, you know, you can have a roundtable, you know, geek off with who was the best Catwoman and, and all this stuff. And that's a, I'm sure we're all, we've all been a part of that talk. <laughs> uh, but I, I just really just kind of wanted to get your opinions on, not in a competitive way, but can you kind of touch on, you know what? What's her contribution to the Catwoman character? You know, what was different about her? You know, about how she presented it. Um, what has still stayed on? You know, uh, what's unique to Lee Merriweather's Cat Catwoman? Because when I was a kid, it did not occur to me that Julie Newmar and Lee Merriweather were different people. When I was a little kid, and <laughs> me, it, it also. It also puzzled me watching the movie. It's like, why does Batman not know that woman's Catwoman? He knows, he knows Catwoman. Uh, years later, I read that movie. It was actually supposed to come out before the TV series started. It's like, okay, that would have made more sense then. Uh, yeah. But it's in terms of, you, you see, there are clear differences in how they play the character. There are similarities. But Julie had, has this ethereal, otherworldly quality to her. And just there's something very different and surreal about Julie Newmar. Lee Merriweather, more down to earth uh, as as a person, and you know even when she's playing the Russian version in that one, it's that character putting on an act. Uh, there are there are things different. One big thing that's different in that one is that it's the most sexual Bruce Wayne ever seemed. And if you watch that Batman movie, you know, that when Bruce Wayne is, you know, in private with Miss Kitka, as uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> she's calling herself, uh, mm-hmm. he, he, boy, he, 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 he seems like a bit of a horn dog there. And <laughs> yeah, like, he's a little worked he's, up. He's about to be consumed by passion. And it's like, boy, you don't see that with him in the TV show. So she, she brought out uh, this uh, sexual aspect to Bruce Wayne that you weren't going to see. Julie Newmar, where you, you know, people, plenty might go, people might see her as the sexier Catwoman. Lee would be one to say that. Lee didn't see herself as sexy. Lee, so she was surprised that people would see her as, as sexy as she was. But you know, there, there's, a, there's a difference in them. There, you know, Arthur Kitt, she went somewhere else with that character entirely to the point if you weren't sure if it was the same character or not. And some of that would have just had to do with racial issues. The, the, the Batman's interest in Catwoman vanished, and that had to do with how things were going to be depicted at that time. You know, and it was a huge deal when Kirk Kestuhura once over on Star Trek around that time. Yeah. And so the, the, the tension of that kind between Batman and Catwoman was not there during Earth's time. And so it could be a racial issue. Also, Earth, Earth uh, has these, these, a strangeness to her, too. 
Yeah, she. I think as as Lee Merriweather kind of did some of the uh, the best sort of subtle cat noises and worked them in very organically through the movie. When Eartha Kitt came around, you you uh, as a kid, I thought maybe she was half cat. Yeah, because she was always purr mm-hmm. this and purr that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she was always doing that. Um, Lee, I, I I had actually noticed, and I actually watched it, you know, fairly uh, recently, and. There is there is something that she has like this kind of gyration in her hips throughout pretty much the whole film. Whenever she is cat cat woman, there's some movements in her hips that are, you know, incredibly, you know, sexy. I mean, she really brings it out oh, yeah. in, in her physical performance. Good that, luck getting that as a comic code authority. <laughs> it would have never have flown. So yeah, I think you know, and um, you know, she's obviously she was a Miss America in nineteen fifty five. You know, I mean, she's, you know, she is very accomplished when it comes to looks, uh, obviously. But no, I, I thought that her physical performance was actually very noticeably mature. You know, very, you know, very sultry. I think yeah. is, is, is. And they did it throughout the movie. She was. Uh, it wasn't about one villain. It was all right. like the four all stars, and they were basically all on set, all doing all their scenes together. So there are very wide shots. They had to be very physical acting, and she was up to the task. Yeah, she was. She was trading with some of the best. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, and she was. She was definitely there. So yeah, we were. We were. You know, uh, we were very glad and very lucky to be able to spend some time with her. Mm-hmm. And all that being said, uh, go ahead, Doctor Langley. Who's your real favorite Catwoman? <laughs> we're going to say about. my real favorite Catwoman. <laughs> That's all right. We'll cut this out. She won't hear this part. <laughs> Well, when I grew, I, you know, I grew up. You mainly saw Julie, so it's hard not to think of Julie. Um, but I, I signed a copy of my book for Lee, and and I signed it. It had to do with a comment that we made when we were talking the night before at, at this party. I had seen her and her daughter over on the side of the party, and nobody else was going up to us like they don't realize who that is over there. So I went and visited with Lee, and I uh, mentioned about something about um, Julie. Uh, but I referred to Lee as my first Catwoman for being the first one that I'd met. And she's like, first Catwoman? You mean only Catwoman? But with this oh, twinkle oh, in her eye, that twinkle in her eye, just said she was kidding. But when I signed my book, she cracked up because I signed it uh, to my first, in parentheses, and only Catwoman. Oh, <laughs> That's awesome, Doc. <laughs> Good for you. Oh, and that does sound like a Lee Merriweather thing to do. It oh, I know. She just, was, just, just, um, she will flirt with you. Yeah, well, yeah. she was, she was playful about it. And we, uh, as I recall, we kind of tried to goad her into saying uh, some some disparaging words about Eartha <laughs> Kitt and Julie Newmar, but she just wouldn't buy She it. wouldn't have it. Yeah. She wouldn't have it. She played along a little bit, but then uh, uh, class act. Uh, I'm so glad we talked yeah. to her. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, do you ever go uh, on the circuit? What? Oh, what's that? Well, and hopefully next year uh, we, we'll put together something for Catwoman's 75th anniversary. Uh, that's coming up. Oh my goodness, 75 yeah. years! What do you get her next year? <laughs> Diamond. <laughs> Actually, she can get her own. So. Yeah. Okay. What about the circuit? What were you asking about the circuit? Uh, well, I was I was wondering if you've ever uh, like paired up on the uh, convention circuit or anything else as a as a bona fide superheroologist with any of the other cat women. I mean, have you ever sat next to no, Halle Berry at Comic Con or anything? No, not the other cat women. Uh, one reason why I was talking to Lee that Julie came up is the second time we did a panel together because that one had more to do with uh, Batman's love life. That's the one that had to do with the love life. 
it said it's like we were trying to bring Julian also at that time um, because Julie has the same agent as Adam West. So I, I and I knew Adam's agent, so I asked. But Julie was going out of the country at the time, and it could be difficult with Julie as time goes by too because she has an unusual kind of late life muscular dystrophy. So her health has just been shot, shot for the last two years. And this is somebody who's been a dancer and in good shape all her life. And oh. I've seen Julie talking to people, and Julie will still just light up, and she enjoys talking to people. And so, you know, who knows, you know, what, where that will be. And, you know, that can go on a long time. You know, my friend Jilton Pantosi is the, turned 30 in this last year, and, you know, she's grown up with muscular dystrophy for her whole life. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean things will be uh, too bad for Julie next year, but we'll see. Um, I'll, I'll have to ask Fred next year um, if uh, Julie's coming to Comic-Con and would be up for a, a big, you know, Catwoman get-together. And that would be great. We could Julie and Lee. Eliza Dushku has done the voice of Catwoman. She does a lot of conventions. And some of the other people who've done voice for Catwoman. And heck, why you know why even stop there? Why not Michelle Pfeiffer, Halle Berry, and Hathaway? Let's just try to get them all. I mean, what what an awesome occasion! Wow, yeah. that, that that could be a dream. It would be. It would definitely be a dream. You know. Well, I do a lot of conventions. Well, and, and uh, just to kind of touch on uh, before we let you go, but you know, just as important as who gets to play Batman, you know, obviously with Ben Affleck now, everybody's talking about who gets to play Batman, and there's that debate, too, with, you know, who the best Batman is, and, you know, Ike will go down fighting for Michael Keaton till I die. Um, but, um, you know, the on the opposite end of that, the role of Catwoman, you know, one of them, played by one of our friends, Lee, Lee Merriweather, um, you know, that's just, it's, it's, it's just as equally a hot-button issue of who is your favorite and, and, and all this. And if you just look at that list, there's been one, two, three, four, five, there's been six cat women of film or television, uh, live action, and, you know, you have, of those six, two of them have been our Oscar winners, and one of them is the Miss America. You know, this is... Mm-hmm. Good pedigree. Good yeah, pedigree. this is an, you know this is well, the cream of the crop. The question: If uh, if Catwoman or Selena Kyle, at any rate, ends up in the new Batman Superman movie, oh, gentlemen, who would you like to see oh, fill the fill that role? Who's Dr. right for that? Doctor Langley. <laughs> depends on the story. It really does depend on the story. Uh, if if because they're playing with Affleck as being a little older Batman. So the age of Catwoman has more flexibility, more range, and you, know, you could you could have an, a middle-aged actress. It does not have to be an actress in her twenties or even early thirties uh, this time necessarily. And so there are. Gosh. I'm thinking Lee Merriweather then. I'm going to go ahead and come out and say <laughs> Yeah, give her a job. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I think she's busy enough. I think so too. Maybe Dame Judy Dench or someone else to. Someone else oh, I, I don't think they're going. I don't think they're going that old. It's like we can't have Catwoman be older than Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll give Halle Berry another shot at this. Huh? Let's just let's just bring her back out. Oh no! Pull uh, okay. me once. Shame on you. <laughs> no, there, there's not yeah. going to be any more of a Halle Berry association with the Catwoman thing. That that, that that movie that movie had nothing to do with the comic book. He had even said that they weren't fan of the comic book. They apparently just like the costume. That was the only thing I remember being anything like Catwoman in the entire movie. 
Yeah, and it was very revealing from what I remember. Yeah, there was a lot of skin in that Catwoman outfit. So, well, that's true. That's true. Well, well, all right. I feel like we've uh, we've exhausted uh, this topic, and it's given us a lot of context to uh, to to go back to our Lee Merriweather interview. I I'm getting ready to listen to it again right now. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Travis Langley, thank you for joining us. A bona fide superheroologist. And he hangs out with Lee Merriweather at conventions all the time. So don't cry for him, Argentina. Uh-huh. It's the Hot Stuff Sweepstakes, where a thousand kids can win a video recorder, compact stereo, recorder phone, miniature color TV, or home computer. Inside specially marked boxes of instant Quaker oatmeal are ten chances to win. If a packet says you win, you can choose one of these prizes. Or to win or free, send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Hot Stuff. Box 1095, Libertyville, Illinois, 60198. One in 25,000 will win. That was Dr. Travis Langley, Ph.D., a hell of an expert, hell of a fan. Very clear to see. And he did shed a good amount of light on Catwoman. I I have to admit there, um, I was a a little disappointed to find out there was no fancy mystique behind her. Yeah. She, as he said, they just... Would use her however they wanted, but uh, but as a character, she's grown. I mean, obviously, Batman too has grown, um, yeah. but uh, she's grown along too culturally. I think it's been a longer journey, as we said. She even had to had to sit out for about twelve years there because she's too damn sexy, and because she was having too much fun, and, too much and because fun. apparently the opposite of Batman, yeah, you know, well, is he... just unacceptable. Well, right, by the Comic Code Authority, right. Well, you know, Batman, you know, he. He represents death, basically. He's all grim and sad all the time. And the Catwoman enjoys what she's doing. She, you know, she's smiling, purring. She's life. Wow, that's, uh, that's, that's deep. That's rich. That's deep. It's a little rich. Like, no, yeah. no. That's, that's, that's a hell of a – and maybe that is what they had in mind. She's the fertile mother, and he's <laughs> – Well, I remember uh, when we had, uh, we had interviewed Travis Langley about eight, nine months ago, and I had asked him – do you think that when Bob Kane and Bill Finger, yeah. let's say Bill Finger, uh, when they were creating the Batman character, did they put all these little things in there? Did they know what they were creating? Yeah, did, were did, they consciously seeding right. all this? Were they yeah. seeding all this? And, you know, probably not, but maybe so. That's kind of what his answer was, if I, if yeah. I, if I recall. Yeah. Um, it didn't seem hopeful, as I recall. Yeah, I but, like, yeah maybe, but it's, it's highly unlikely. And, you know, and you know, I, I just think that there are, there are some people, when they're creating stories, are so talented beyond their, their, even their own comprehension. So they are doing it. I'm going to give them credit. Both Bill Finger... And Bob Kane, <laughs> I'm giving them Good both for credit credit for laying the groundwork and the foundation yep. for the character and, and for it to grow yep. into this complex and layered yeah. character yeah. that we all love. Yeah. Well, uh, the uh, superheroes in, uh, in comic books are unique among characters in that they outlive their creators Absolutely. by so much. Uh, and they get handed off to the next generation of writers and, and the creative forefront, and then again and again. And as a result, you can kind of, as they grow and change all these characters and become more complex and start adding uh, and dropping various mores and, and boundaries that are culturally defined, you can look back at the chronology of it, and you can see 
generation after generations take on on various things and what they want to talk about, where they like their discussions to go. Uh, and if we do that with Catwoman, we see we see her as being a very malleable, um, uh, you know, antithesis again, as 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 he put it, to to Batman that they were able to just plug into stories however they needed it. And and that's kind of how she was used through the original conception. And then she had to take like a dozen years off, thanks to the Comic Code right. Authority thing. Um, and well, she was morally ambiguous instead of uh, firm on principle. Just, um, there's a lineage in the storytelling, and every you know the the generation that follows gets the benefit of the previous writer and what they contributed to the story. Mm-hmm. So every once in a while, you get this whole new comic story, you know, be it um, Batman Year One, The Dark Knight Returns. Um, there's many, many, many more. Oh, yeah. And every single time, that writer gets to kind of look at the whole history of those characters, selectively take out the things that will feed his narrative, and put them in there and add layers and complexity to these characters and which is, you know, which goes a long way in in explaining why these characters get better and better with time. Yep. And it's something that's very, very special. But none of that happens, you know, without the work of Bob Kane and with Bill Finger and what they were able to kind of seed at the very beginning. If if indeed they were seeding, but definitely things grew. And exactly. uh, and and looking at Catwoman, if we. If we look at it as reflections of various generations, if we look at Catwoman as their idea of the female counterpart of Batman, you know, not the opposite, not like Batgirl or Supergirl or or one of those you know hollow attempts to just be a female cover right. identity, uh, we can see how this culture has kind of thought of women. Where you've got after she was gone for a dozen years, she reappears just in time for for uh, the Batman TV show, and she is uh, remade as this giggling, you know, half love interest, half arch enemy of right. Batman's. Uh, and it and the character then continues to evolve when she shows up again with Michelle Pfeiffer in the 90s. Right. That was and my – I love that one. And it was made out to be a woman who was scorned and getting revenge and uh, – and Crazy. Very, yeah, yeah, basically crazy and yeah. so focused on gender inequality right. that she tries so hard to be a feminist, it's almost embarrassing. But then she slips on this really hot, skin-tight, you know, <laughs> stitched-together leather suit. Very nice, very Incredible. nice. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, Jesus. But then then, uh, then Holly Berry gets to take her Oscar victory lap as, as Catwoman in what is arguably – the lowest point for the character, I think, because it was just it was just a sellout. There was nothing. You it know, could be the, the worst movie of all time. It. it was yeah. not. It was not good. <laughs> it got like Halle. I think Halle Berry won the Oscar for Best Actress and the the Razzie and the Razzie the for, same year, or or at least consecutive. I years. think it was I the same was, year. That's a that's a damn shame. Poor thing. <laughs> Good for her. And, and, but poor Catwoman. But poor Catwoman. In a way. Right. I mean, because it was just an excuse for this very talented actress to dress mm-hmm. up basically like a stripper, put on cat ears, and I don't know, I think she had a whip and stuff. Mm-hmm. But there was no Batman. There was no backstory. There was no important it, – it, it didn't celebrate the character at all. It was just a total sellout. And then we got something great. But happening. then – 
fast forward to just recently the Dark Knight Returns and finally the characters back and being treated you know on the big screen mm-hmm. for the mass audience with respect. And you know, mm-hmm. Anne Hathaway plays her independent. Uh, she plays her believably. She plays her as morally challenged instead of morally ambiguous. But an equal. And, 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 to and an equal to Batman. Well, you know, on level footing. Mm-hmm. Different, different but equal. Mm-hmm. And uh, viva la difference. More so in that movie than pretty much anything. Yeah. You know, like, but it was she wasn't cartoony. No. She wasn't She wasn't even referred to as Catwoman, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was just Lena Kyle. Yeah. And I think they may have flashed Burglar somewhere. Mm-hmm. Which you can infer cat burglar yeah, in there, but, but yeah, you know, like no, she was completely serious and and she had she had purpose to be there. You know, she was exactly. a, she was an integral exactly. part of the whole thing. Yeah, she, she that passes the Bechdel test for sure. Oh, and I, I, I think, forgot all about the Bechdel. And and uh, and I I'm hopeful that that signals you know a maturing attitude in our culture. Uh, when I say our culture, I'm thinking you know even more specifically the the the, the cons, human con- the okay. Saturday morning cereal crowd out uh-huh. there. Yeah. They're um, out there. Uh, but that also brings me to, I think it's about time yeah. that we just, we're, we're talking about Catwoman. Why are we talking about Catwoman? Oh. Well, we're... It, it really now seems like a flimsy excuse just to get talking to Lee Merriweather, screen legend, uh, played uh, Catwoman for the very first Catwoman on film. The first movie Catwoman. Mm-hmm. This is her. Mm-hmm. And known uh, to this day. Uh, uh, known as the Catwoman, uh, mm-hmm. despite a long and amazing career. And we 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 were just supposed to talk to her for about 10, 15 minutes. We sat down for about an hour, yeah. just stole this poor woman's time, and she was so gracious. Uh, we got to share it all with you. With, without further ado, let's talk Catwoman with Catwoman, Miss Lee Merriweather. Meanwhile, thank you for joining us. As always, I am Grim Shea, and joining me is Marky. Say hi, Marky. Hello, everybody. And everybody, you are in for a real treat. We have the honor and privilege today of speaking to a screen legend, a former Miss America. <laughs> a Miss the, America. The, the original movie Catwoman. <laughs> uh, and for, for extra, extra nerd and cultural credit, she is, I believe, also the only performer to be in both uh, the original Star Trek series and Metal Gear Solid Four blockbuster <laughs> video game. <laughs> yes, that's true. Oh, <laughs> uh, the one and only Lee Merriweather. Thank you so much for joining us, Miss Mer- Miss Merriweather. How are you today? Oh, oh, call me Lee, please. But I'm fine. Thank you. Feeling good. Oh well, well, thank you, Lee. I will. <laughs> I'm going to ca- call her Lee. Too. <laughs> I feel giddy now. Thank you so much. Um, honestly, I, I can't overstate uh, how how honored we feel to speak with you. You are uh, still a working, living legend in in our eyes, <laughs> and we are far from the only ones. Nice. That's well, thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> I don't and, think of uh, myself in those terms, but once in a while, it's nice to. Well, you deserve it. You do, and I did. In fact, I didn't until I uh, really started digging in and doing some research for this interview. I had no idea that you were uh, uh, Miss America, and that is that is a a lot of a lot of women, very talented, uh, uh, driven women, who Mm -hmm. make it 
to the pageant and get the crown, they quite often that's kind of their one claim to fame that they can hang on to. I had no idea until just now. Yeah, that is oh, that is that is buried very deep into your resume. You know, that's that's kind of down that list, and that's that's just amazing. That no, that that should be at the top to the caliber of your career. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, they, that's when it all started. It really, uh, really was. It's a, and you know, most of the time, I, I mean, I was lucky because I, I was uh, pulled uh, out to do the Today Show right away, almost uh, halfway through my tour as Miss America and um that started my my career that way and and uh, then I was hired to do some films and I I was lucky I was lucky most of the girls who go to the pageant and, and who subsequently win um most of them are not interested in the theatrical career they're there for the scholarships that are offered and they go back to school and they go into their separate careers um, there have been very few that have really been interested in a, in a career in the films or theater or, or television. So, oh, who wouldn't but, um, want to have but, your career? I don't. I don't believe that at all. <laughs> uh, and, well, what's that like being a, a, a former Miss America? I mean, because I assume you're sort of you're in the club for life. So maybe it's not former Miss America. Yes, it's right. They they call us forever Miss Americas. We're all uh, forever Miss Americas. That's what they they've uh, started calling us because uh, being a foreign, you you are will always be the Miss America for that year. So uh, yes, I was Miss America in 1955. As a matter of fact, I won, believe it or not, on September 11th, 1954. They postdate them, and uh, when I uh, I didn't realize it, it was a uh, uh, that kind of a date back then, and uh, mm-hmm. um, a friend of mine sent me a newspaper clipping, you know, where were you on this date kind of thing, and, and uh, what happened on these dates, and this September 11th was the, the main gist of that particular column, and I, I looked at it, and I said, oh, dear, why is someone sending me, oh, my name, <laughs> what? Oh, <wow. laughs> So, oh, wow. It's Betty Lee Marvita Crown, Miss America, 1955. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, I, 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 I went to my mother's uh, scrapbook, and uh, son of a gun, she had some of the newspapers there, and there it was, September 11th. Yeah. Dated from 9-11? Wow. That's mm. much, much better news that year. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. And uh, as a matter of fact, we're coming up on the 60th anniversary of the first telecast. I was I was crowned on the first telecast. You, so you, it's, uh, it's this coming this coming September, I think 14th will be um, uh, the day that they will be celebrating the 50th and the 60th anniversary of the first telecast. So, so not only were you the original theatrical Catwoman, but also the original screen Miss America. <laughs> yeah. The storied, storied career. So impressive. Mm-hmm. So, do you still do work with the uh, Miss America uh, uh, organization? Oh yes, I do. Uh huh. I've been um, back, and uh, uh, I'll, I'll be there this uh, this year again. 
my daughters and I go back and, and have a, a lovely time going to the pageant. So, yeah, oh. I'm looking forward. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. And I'm glad you enjoy it because it sounds like you cannot get out of it. <laughs> well, uh, well, I know somewhere, somewhere in there. Um, now, I believe if I read this right, you were uh, a theater student at the time of the pageant. Mm-hmm. Is, yes, I was. Is this when you were working with the great Lee Strasberg? No, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't study with Lee until uh, I was uh, already on the Today Show. And uh, I wanted to use my scholarship money uh, to study theater in New York, and I just went around to the various um, famous um, theater teachers uh, and uh, was lucky enough to get into one of his uh, classes. And I, I was uh, extremely fortunate to uh, have um, the money to, uh, to pay for it. So I was... I was studying, oh, I, was t- I took dance classes, and I took the singing lessons, and I used my scholarship money well. <laughs> I, I would say so, um, but yeah, especially... I was sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that being on the TV show, on the Today Show, I wasn't able to go, I couldn't enter a college or a university. I, I, I was in New York, and... Um, but those classes were uh, now affordable for me to uh, to go, and so it was, it was perfect. Yeah, the uh, you know, Lee Strasberg is is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, this this is this oh, is the teacher <laughs> responsible for James Dean, Marilyn Monroe, Al Pacino, Al Pacino, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, um, and of, of course Lee Merriweather. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't count myself in, in that uh, that realm. That's uh, that's that's a very rarefied area. <laughs> so, no, well, just, whether you I, like it or not, you are in the same class now. I mean, like you are literally yeah. in the same class as these guys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's very sweet of you guys. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> oh no, don't don't appreciate us. Uh, you 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 parlayed all that into uh, in, into so much. Um, the. Uh, the, do, do you have do you have any any funny little you know uh, uh, you know gushy celebrity stories from back then? Oh heavens! Um, so funny when you mentioned Marilyn Monroe. I did see her leave uh, Lee Strasberg's class one day, and I just I I started following her. I became a <laughs> you know, a fan, and I didn't disturb her. I just followed her for a while, and just um, <laughs> no one recognized her. She had a bandana on, and she had a big fur coat, and uh, so I followed behind her for a while, and I said, what are you doing, Lee? <laughs> I'm going to go and say hello. <laughs> so I turned around and went back to class. <laughs> <laughs> you chickened out, huh? <laughs> I did. I was a big chicken. <laughs> oh, that's... That's hard. That's still. I mean, these are these are moments of uh, of that of that time in the 20th century that have just become iconicized. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of Marilyn Monroe walking around in a bandana in New York City. Right. Uh, right. It just and seems no one seems like out of a book to me. Yeah. And uh, how I I don't well I did see her face up close and then then she was she was gone past me and I said oh. 
that was, oh, that was Marilyn Monroe. And so I just started following her. <laughs> you just yeah. picture everything. Is- you know, 180 <laughs> degrees on your heel and just silently stalking. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and um, and and after uh, the Today show, and you started appearing in feature films and television very, very steadily mm-hmm. in the 60s. Uh, yeah. That takes us to uh, one of my favorite subjects that I I hope you don't I'm still talking about, but uh, the Batman movie. Oh yes! Oh, I love doing the movie. I was so lucky to get that that particular Catwoman role. Catwoman has been played by many actresses, but uh, I was the lucky one in that I got to work not only with Adam West and Burt Ward, but I also got to work with Burgess Meredith, Cesar Romero, and Frank Gorshin. I mean, what a partly! <laughs> I was yeah. so lucky. So yeah, the four they, you, you guys were just the big villain group, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and. And we just rewatched a lot of those scenes, uh, you know, in preparation for this interview. <laughs> and you hold your own so well with these oh, world-class actors. Uh, it, it's just more proof that you earned everything you've gotten in your career. Wow, well, thank you. They, they were so wonderful to me. They knew I was a new kid on the block that I had never <laughs> played the character before. And it was so kind. Especially Caesar. Caesar Romero was my protector. Because the first scene we did was, you remember the scene in the uh, Penguin's uh, uh, submarine when all the bo- uh, the bombs were being dropped from above oh, yeah. by, by Adam um, Burton? <laughs> yes, all of them. And, uh, well, he protected me because he, he knew the logistics of the scene so well, and he was able to block a lot of the sparks and uh, the, the, um, the stuff that was... The, they couldn't plan where those things were going to fly. You know, they were supposed to be out of our way, but some didn't. And uh, bless his heart, he was he he was my back. <laughs> he became my back. <laughs> he had a couple of spots uh, on his uh, on his costume they had to repair. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's that's a true gentleman then, willing willing oh, to yeah. be burned alive. <laughs> he was. He was. <laughs> He was a dear. Well, they all were. They were just terrific and such perfectionists and and uh, hard workers. I mean, their their work ethic was for me so uh, instructional. I I watched them prepare for each scene that they did, and that that was you know I mean that's gold. You just uh, um, you're at the feet of uh, people who are are brilliant in their profession, and, and uh, you get to see them firsthand work it all out ahead of time and then see the fruition of it, to, to, and it, then it works. And, uh, well, I did. I, I learned a great deal from all of them. I was lucky, so lucky. Did, uh, did you guys have kind of a sense at the time of, of culturally important this was uh, going to be, you know, not that, uh, not, not that, you know, that first Batman movie or the first Batman show uh, cemented, you know, today's vision of Batman and superhero movies, which are billion-dollar industries. But, but back then, did you have some kind of sense how important these characters were to uh, to people in general? I, I think only as as a um, um, as a performer, as a, as a, an actor, I think it was important to do it well and to do it 
with uh, the comedy uh, at the forefront. That was uh, because it was, a, you know, we were the comic book version. And uh, but not seeing in the future what it would become, I had, had no idea, of course, uh, or at least I didn't. <laughs> and, um, uh, but it was, um, it was t- taken uh, very seriously. Very seriously on the set all the time. We uh, that's where the work ethic came in and, and all of that. Uh, uh, the professionalism of these these gentlemen and uh, the uh, director Les Martinson was was uh, really a marvelous guide for us to uh, to work with and and, and Bert and, and well of course I got to work with Adam as Miss Kitka, the foreign Russian correspondent. Mm-hmm. And so I got, I got double time with, with Adam as Catwoman and as, uh, of course, I only fought with him when I was Catwoman, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. but playing with him and having scenes with him was really, really just really marvelous. And we've, mm-hmm. we've since enjoyed each other's company in these um, memorabilia shows, you know, where you go and sit and meet your fans and, and sign mm-hmm. autographs and all of that, and uh, that's that's been a lot of fun. Little oh. Kirk. Well, you know, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of bat fans over the years love to uh, get together and kind of pettily rank all the Batmans that we've seen over the years. And mm-hmm. I would be doing all of these immature listeners a disservice <laughs> if I didn't ask you if you could do that for us as well. Go ahead, get nasty. Who's your favorite Batman? Who's the worst Batman? <laughs> well, I, I, of course, I'm I'm so partial to Adam West, and and uh, he had, I think, for my money, he had the most difficult road to walk on on that mm. uh, the tightrope of playing Batman, because one step to the left, he would have been uh, mocking, and mm-hmm. one step to the right, he would have been, I don't know, it would have been just not right. It was mm-hmm. a, such a fine line that he walked down the road on, during the filming of it because it, 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 was, it was a cartoon, yet it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't making fun of it. It was... It was it was, yeah, it was, he had to be serious all the time, and he had to work at it to be that. And I, I admired that. I thought he was wonderful. So he's, he's ranked number one. I love Christian Bale. I just adore him and anything he does. Uh, I loved his uh, uh, interpretation. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't mind, I didn't mind uh, the other gentlemen who, who played it. They were fine. The, the scripts were... Mm, a little dark <laughs> here and there, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, uh, that's that's the way the cartoons went. The cartoons went into the dark night. It really was, um, uh, you know, the progression of uh, Stanley's um, um, the, the the characters. I think uh, the, yeah. the the way the comics went. Yeah, the uh, all the all the blues and purples went to blacks and grays. Yeah, as it were, mm-hmm. and then uh, definitely, we really did, and and I really and, and I respect your point. Really, yes, yeah. the villains became really villains. 
and they were not, you know, not pleasant. Yeah. So, yeah. Actually frightening, as opposed to, yeah. uh, well, well, you know, uh, your Catwoman and, uh, and, uh, uh, all, and the other stable of the television show villains were uh, antagonizing. <laughs> they did. You, you. They weren't giving kids nightmares, which is a certain <laughs> skill, I think, in itself. There's, there's been a lot said over the years about how uh, the camp element from the Batman show uh, was out of place, but I don't really think so. I enjoyed it as a kid. Absolutely, I liked oh, yeah. that. I, they, they did, and and I've had people saying that that. Um, uh, they love, well, they'll come to the, these memorabilia shows and they'll stand and tell you about when they first saw it and then now they are uh, older than their parents and they're, they're getting the, uh, the DVD of the movie and they've shown them to the, their kids. And they are enjoying it doubly so because they, they get the jokes that were for the adults that the kids don't get that but they think it's funny anyway you know they don't get <laughs> yeah. the, i mean the rubber the rubber sounding uh shark and you can hear that it's a, a rubber shark you know? <laughs> that still makes me laugh every time i see it <laughs> it's just, absolutely it's such a smart thing to do you know the, <laughs> to leave the sound there really oh dear you know it's fun yeah, and and yeah, I do I do have to respect uh, what you said about uh, Adam West having the hardest job mm. as Batman because it's true. Oh, I he could have made I, he the wrong inflection or tone, and in any of his scenes, and he was in pretty yeah. much all the scenes in the show, and it would have been uh, overboard. Oh yes, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's a very good actor. He's a very good actor. I, Saw him on stage a couple of times afterwards. Uh, he did some stage plays here in Los Angeles, and he was very good, excellent, excellent. Totally different personalities in each one, and uh, was just uh, he's, a, he's a very good actor. Nice man, a very nice man, family man, and just um, um, a really great guy. And Bert, well, Bert's a delight. He's just uh, charming. He's so um, into animals uh, that. Uh, yeah, uh, he's that's where he spends his life now. So. Oh, I, I I wasn't expecting to hear that. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, yeah. you 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 deserve plenty of credit too. Uh, you are a remarkable Catwoman, who is a uh-huh. who is I think of a more complicated character than she's usually gotten credit for being. Um, and I you're. You made these cat noises through the movie <laughs> that are absolutely mesmerizing. I mean, they express more than two pages of dialogue, and in such a perfect villainous way. How did you prepare for that? Did you grow up with cats? <laughs> yes, I grew up with cats. Yeah, that's how I got the part. I uh, <laughs> uh, I realized when I, I walked into a room of about. Oh, probably 75 to 100 women, all beautiful, voluptuous. And I thought, oh, my gosh, how are they going to remember me? Or, you know, I mean, just, oh, I was so depressed <laughs> as I <laughs> saw who, were, who was lined up to, to audition for it. And I, uh, I thought, well, they, what could, how could I make them remind, remember me? So I walked in, I 
I came across, I came up with this idea. And I walked in and I said, I, I am my voice up here. I said, hello, nice to meet you. How do you do? Oh, yes, how are you? My pleasure. And uh, then sat down in this, and thank heavens, they gave me a big kind of roomy chair. And I pulled my knees up and just kind of curled up into the chair and started licking my hand <laughs> and, and purring. And then I had the script on my on my lap, and I turned a page, and I then I lowered my voice down a couple of tones yeah. down, and um, started uh, purring, and then did the dialogue, and luckily was able to pull out from heaven only knows probably from movies that I've seen over the years, um, and I've always sort of been pretty good with accents, um, a, a really fake Russian accent. Right. <laughs> and uh, it, uh, um, I, the next day I was in wardrobe and the following day uh, we were filming and they had oh, already wow. been filming for a while. Yeah, it was, it was strictly last, last minute. And, uh, oh, thank heavens. But, um, you know, I, I was able to get the, get the role. Well, it, it, uh, oh, and, and you know, said you, you said about those sounds that I make mm-hmm. as a cat. Um, I they called me in for looping, and I, I so I went in. I didn't know what I had to do, but I went in, and they gave me a, a sheet of paper, and each loop was some kind of cat noise. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I said, I said, oh, well, I bet this is the first time you've had to do this. And they, mm-hmm. they both, they all laughed and said, oh yeah, no, huh, this is, this is really unusual. Can you, can you do all this? And I said, well, let's, let's give it a try. And so they showed, I said, where, where are you going to use this? Where will you, where will it be? And we'll say, we'll show you some film clips because this is my first time to do any kind of looping. And so I looked and I, I realized, oh, well, okay, that's, that's a straight meow kind of, but elongated, and so I go, I go, and they say, yeah, 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 that's good. Yeah, give us another one. Make it a little longer. Okay. <laughs> and I did a couple of uh, things, and um, what were some of the others? I know, just more purring. I did a lot of that and uh, uh, <laughs> some other sounds. Well, you know what, Lee? You still got it. She still got it. Uh, <laughs> that it you still got the magic, kid. Uh, that is so cool. And that uh, uh, that that brings me to, to uh, before we get off the Batman subject. Uh, I was, yesterday, I was discussing, uh, I just happened to mention to my boss, who is a uh, married man, kids, mortgage payments, the whole nine yards, but a huge Batman fan since a kid. And I mentioned to him, I said, oh, you know what, I'm actually, I actually get to talk to Lee Merriweather tomorrow. And he cut me off immediately, just put a finger in my face, pulled out his phone, and furiously searched through his, through his pictures for a minute. And then uh, pulled up a picture of you from the movie and said, "This Lee Merriweather," <laughs> like his hand shaking. So I said, "You know what? If you wanna, if you can come up with a little question that you'd like me to ask her, 
and he did. It took him about an hour, and I want to read this because he put a lot of work into the wording. So this this oh, is for dear. Jimmy. Jimmy the Bat fan wants, wanted me to ask you, was there any bad blood between you and Eartha Kitt, seeing as how you were clearly the superior Catwoman? <laughs> That's a great oh. question. <laughs> Way to go, Jimmy. <laughs> None whatsoever. I finally got a chance to meet her. Oh, I had seen her as a, when I was about 13, I guess it was. Uh, she was on tour with the New Faces of 57 or 56 or something like that, and she, where she sang, uh, Sa- not Santa Baby, um, she sang uh, Monotonous, you know, and she was very breathy, and she was wonderful. And I loved her, and when I saw that she was going to play Catwoman, I thought, oh, that's such good casting. It's just phenomenal because she's got that slinky body and the slinky look and the whole thing, and she's got that voice that just, you know. Oh, yeah, that spooky voice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And she, um, I met her. We were the three of us, um, Julie. Um, Julie Newmar and Eartha Kitt and I presented um, an award to, oh golly, I should remember this. Oh, no, I can't remember now. It's just gone well, from my head. Someone um, very lucky. That's all that matters. <laughs> yes, and, and it was a, at a, um, um, a, a TV show. It was a TV show. And we got to uh, all talk before we, we got up on stage. And uh, she complimented me on uh, my Russian accent. She thought that was really great. And I said, well, I got to see you on on the stage in San Francisco at the Current Theater. And um, I went on and on about her performance there. And she said uh, uh, she, she was very grateful, very nice and very pleasant. She just uh, was just charming, absolutely charming. So and I got to meet her. And of course, you know, Julie and I have done a lot of these memorabilia shows together, so that we've gotten to know each other too. And so she, uh, yeah, she couldn't do the, the movie, I guess. I think she had a, a, another movie already uh, ready to go because she had done the series. A lot of people think I did the series, but uh, she did. She did the series. I didn't. And uh, I did appear in the series this, um, after the movie. I played um, Lisa Carson, who was dressed as Cleopatra, and Bruce Wayne was my date. Uh, I was a spoiled uh, society girl. Oh, or I was actually, I think I was the... John E. Carson was the mayor of Gotham City, or the, mm-hmm. the city councilman or something. He was John mm-hmm. E. Carson. <laughs> and so I was Lisa. Yeah, another. Lisa. <laughs> yeah, another play on words. And uh, I played Lisa, and she was very spoiled, and she was kidnapped by um, Victor Bono, who was King Cut. Because he, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he saw me as Cleopatra, and said, oh, well, you're coming with me. <laughs> yeah. And that, so, but at least I, I did have a scene with Adam, all dressed in a ball gown, coming home from a date, and I invite him in for milk and cookies. <laughs> and 
He says, um. and then he turns to the camera. I swear, he turns to the camera. Oh, you've got to find this film clip. Just check it out because it's so cute. He turns the camera sort of and says, oh, crime fighter can't live by. Uh, oh, darn, and I can't remember the quote now. <laughs> oh, that ball. Can't live by on, on kisses alone? No, that wouldn't be it. On cookies alone? Yeah, it's it's. I'm sure, especially at that time, it must have been a perfectly tempered line to get away with saying on, on national TV. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> and thanks to the magic internet box, I think Marquis is already on his way looking for that clip. So yeah, we're, we're going to be watching that in moments. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and uh, the great thing about the show and the movie back in the 60s, the way it did play with... Uh, you know, how much fun it is to be a superhero while making it melodramatic. Um, it kind of lends itself to being, though, you know, high production quality, very much mm-hmm. a B-movie, which I I love, you know, B-movies, yeah. movies that are self-aware of the fact that they're only aiming for a certain level and they just want you to have a good time with them. Have a good and time, we, exactly. Mm-hmm. And we just recently caught one, which I think a newer movie uh, with you in it that I think uh, fits that mold perfectly, uh, called Silent But Deadly. <laughs> Silent But Deadly. You, you, you know the original title, Hotel Arthritis. We talked to Jackie Holland and I, she mentioned that, and that seems so much I, better. It was. I loved it, too. I just thought it was... <laughs> such such fun. But Tied Up the Deadly is, does give you, ooh, kind of, well, what in the world is this about? But, um, you know, I had a subtitle for, I had a subtitle for um, uh, <laughs> Hotel Arthritis. And I said, Scream meets Viagra Falls. <laughs> that was my subtitle. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> oh, I don't know yeah, who eventually did end up naming it, but oh, that, well, was, that would have been perfect. Yeah. It looked, the fun that you guys had making it very much comes through, and I think that that is so much of what is great about about you know B movies. You know the yeah. the the whole idea mm-hmm. of watching a movie that you know isn't going to be good coming back from you know like the Ed Wood days where he was kind of kind of seriously trying to make them, but then yeah. uh, Roger Corman and then stuff built out of that mm-hmm. school where they said you know we're gonna we're gonna make an entertaining movie and we're gonna do it really fast. Exactly. And we're gonna and get were, good at that. Right, and uh, Jason, you know, he is a young filmmaker that. He's going to go places. He really is just such a, a, a dear, dear, sweet man and a wonderful director. He's uh, he's going to. Um, I, I expect big things from him. I really do. Some students I agree. get a hold of him and just yeah. say, you know, yeah, Jason uh, Lockhart, uh, uh-huh. who actually we just talked to right before we talked <laughs> to you, mm-hmm. oh, and uh, and he got he us very excited. Yeah, he he's, he's he is very sweet, and he had so many sweet things to say about you. Well, though we yeah. still kind of put him on the spot. We sat him down, <laughs> oh, and we Lord. said a little something we do when we talk to guests who have worked together. We 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 ask the first guest what we should ask 
the second guest. <laughs> and he came up with, with, a, with a cute little question for you that I, that uh-huh. I do want to ask. Now we're going to see if your answer matches up with his. But he wanted us to ask you, what was your favorite day on set for uh, Silent but Deadly? Oh, dear. <laughs> the pressure's on. It was the most uncomfortable situation. I, I was uh, on a... I see. I don't even know if it's still in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a, a, um, It was in the ladies' bathroom, and uh, I was. I have been screaming and screaming because there were things happening to me that I I didn't think I should have. Wrong mm-hmm. with me. <laughs> yeah. That's, by the way, it did stay in the movie. <laughs> I remember the scene you're talking about. <laughs> Well, it was it, uh, it's amazing that they they were able to film that as well as they did <laughs> because it was it was a real bathroom area, you know, and they didn't build it. They, it was it was there and it was cramped and you know how bathroom stalls are and all that and and <laughs> dear Lord, oh. I was standing on the toilet. Oh, well, never mind. We had a lot of fun on the film. We really did. Everybody worked very hard on it. And, uh, uh, and my daughter, uh, Leslie, is, Leslie Rather, uh, is a uh, stunt woman. And she was... Uh, uh, out there and, and was able to help out um, with a couple of uh, stunts that uh, were were done and uh, she just uh, she she loved being there loved working with these <laughs> older folks you know <laughs> and we um, we all had a good time we really did it was such fun Jason has a a, a really good serious but Fun working set. Mm. It, uh, it you find the combination of a, a young man who is new and vital and excited and happy and wants to do a good job, and that Jason in a nutshell. He just oh. he had all of that going for him, and plus which he he's. Uh, uh, a dear soul. He just right there, you know, and he was um, uh, caring, and uh, was his baby, of course. But you know, that's uh, uh, that's what's needed, I guess. Well, I think I, I think the way you put that would be the greatest compliment to him because uh, he he relayed to us a little story about uh, your last day on set, and he said, and the way he told us the story, you could tell he does take it as the most sincere compliment to his work that you seem like you didn't even want to leave, that you were willing to put up with, you know, people just showing up and asking you to take pictures with them and sign anything. And he said, you just, you were so sweet and you seem like you didn't want to leave his set and you can tell that really moved him. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Uh, when I finish something and finish a film, it, it really is. It's hard to let go. 
and you long to see it, and then you see it, and I was like, oh, gee, that brings back memories. Oh, I want to do this again. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way it's been with me. I've been lucky. I have been lucky all the way along. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was going to ask. You know, why? I mean, at some point, not that, not that you have any need to. I don't want this to come out wrong. But at some point, you've got to ask, why haven't you retired? <laughs> oh no! You know, oh, you no, poor thing. Do you no, feel like you no. haven't done a full day's work yet? <laughs> oh no, I have. I, I, I've, I've done a lot. Of people say. You know, I'm, you're not tired. And I still am doing my one-woman show. Uh, I'm out and about. I'm, uh, I'm I'm going off to on when is it next week to Texas, and I'm going to play a mother in a in a movie, and it's called Sunny uh, Sunny in the Dark. Sunny and, in the Dark. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's uh, quite an interesting film. It really is. It's, uh, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, working on it. I've got the, uh, I got most of the script down now. And, uh, so I'll, I'll, um, next week be filming. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you still get, uh, like butterflies in your stomach? Do you still get that anticipation? Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Wow. Yeah, because you, you 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 hope that nothing goes wrong or or um, things like that. I've I've had uh, uh, oh an occasional glitch where somehow well uh, the last the last movie I did uh, I had an allergic reaction to uh, some medicine they were trying to uh, give me for uh, tinnitus or kittenness, mm. or whatever it's called in the ears, the ringing in the ears. And mm-hmm. I had an allergic reaction to, to it. And, oh, brother, I, there I was filming. My my whole throat is going like it was red. I mean, it was, <laughs> oh, gosh, <laughs> awful. But we got through it. I mean, we oh. finally got through you it. Are, you are a pro. You are, you are a consummate <laughs> pro. <laughs> Try to be. Oh. Try to be. Oh, you can do it. Well... Uh, I don't want to take up any more of your afternoon. I feel like I've already gotten so much more from this talk than oh. I was than I was hoping I could. Um, oh, good, good. But, okay. but aside from uh, from Sunny in the Dark, was there anything else you wanted to tell us about on the horizon? I want to give you a chance to just plug away. Well, the uh, uh, let's see, that's you know Sunny in the Dark, and uh, uh, there was a horse a horse for summer. Uh, that should be out sometime. I'm, I'm not sure when. That's another film. Um, and uh, I think that's it. I, my one-woman show, The Women of Spoon River, their voices from the hill, may be playing somewhere near you. Where are you? Where uh, are you? We, we are out in San Diego in California. Ooh. Are you doing it on the West Coast? Oh, sure, sure. I've been, I've been um, asked to... Uh, uh, do it in back in Virginia again. I mean, I did about well, ten women for a convention, and they loved it so much. They said, "Well, we want to see the whole show." I do twenty-three women in an hour. Good Lord. Twenty-three different, twenty-three different women, all with different accents and um, afflictions and character flaws and what have you. And uh, Edgar Lee Masters wrote. Uh, 
long, many, many, many years ago, early 1900s, um, epitaph poems in um, in a um, in an Illinois newspaper, and years later they put it all into a book called Spoon River Anthology. A lot of times you're taught uh, from that book in uh, English, English, American mm-hmm. lit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, it's good for schools, and it's uh, good for um, audiences who enjoy seeing a woman go mad. On the stage. <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, and that is yeah. something that it. If if you didn't have the skill to do it, I'm sure you would have been booed off by stage now. Uh, yeah, uh, sure uh, so, well. so clearly you do it well enough for me to come and see it. Is it going to be back in uh, California? Do you have any dates that uh, that I can get excited about? Uh, no, not right this minute. But um, when I come down to San Diego, I am going to come down to San Diego and be at the um, uh, you know Comic Con, and. Um, so um, I thought when I, while I was there that I'd hunt down a couple of um, relatively small theaters. I, I don't like doing it in an amphitheater, um, mainly because of the um, uh, requirements of microphones and things like that. So um, I, if I can find a 200-seat house, uh, it would be perfect. And so that's why I was going to hunt down early in the morning or late at night and when I'm down there. So, I'm uh, already looking where I can rent 200 folding chairs for my backyard. <laughs> Problem solved. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Okay. <laughs> it, won't, it won't cost you anything. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, no, I would pay for this. Don't worry, don't worry. Not, you know, not, not sag premium rates or anything, but I would pay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Now, <clears throat> now I promise I will let you go now, Lee. But I am okay. going to impose on you for one small favor. Could sure, you give me just a uh, just one Catwoman meow <laughs> leading into a to a nice talking to you, Grimshay, <laughs> or you know, just something something to to get the hairs on the back of my oh. neck up. I. Oh. Uh... <laughs> Okay, here goes. <laughs> nice talking to you, Grimshay. <laughs> oh, that was perfect. Oh, bless your heart, Lee. You have made my week. Oh, please. Um, we uh, we actually have a you know. We take Comic-Con here pretty seriously, so we're going to make sure to uh, look you up, and okay. we're going to come by and say hi to you. Um, and we're, we're just, yeah, thank you so much for this interview. Yeah. This, this has been an honest pleasure. Yeah. You know, we, we, we talk to uh, plenty of people in the business, and it is always great to get someone who is a real professional and just an honest-to-God good person to talk to. Yeah. This was so, oh, so nice. I almost don't believe you're a real person. <laughs> yeah, no. Now, the thing is, I turn away, and I put my hand up to my mouth, and I say, <laughs> Of course you do. There we go. There's the villainess I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Well, thank thank you again, Lee Merriweather, everybody. Uh, you you can find my God, hundreds of hours of of this talented woman performing thousands of things. So get out there and do it. And there's more to come. One woman show, Women of Spoon River, twenty four characters in an hour. Wow, I don't have the energy to do just me for an hour. So my hat's off to you. Okay. Well, now go home and rest, dear. Please. And think of me. Oh, for sure. And of course. <laughs> thank you so much, Lee. Always. Thank you, Lee. Uh, you're welcome, guys. Thank you. It was fun. <laughs> All right. And and technically, the, we'll call that the end of the interview. But uh, but oh, even okay. off the air, I just wanted one more time to thank you. I can't I can't oh. express my gratitude enough. This has been just a pleasure. Well, it was fun. It really was. Thank you. All right. You guys take care, and I'll see you maybe down in San Diego. All right. We'll see you then. Absolutely. We're on our way. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) All righty. Thanks, Lee. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Lucky's fighting down one of his colorful roads with his delicious Lucky Charms. Which road? Hearts? Stars? Clovers? Diamonds? Horseshoes? Don't even need a clue. Just take the road of the charm that grows. Grows? Green Clover's grow. Let's go! Yikes, Charm! Love these marshmallowy lucky charms. Mmm, part of this complete breakfast. Smart kids. I'll send you a real four-leaf clover charm with your name on it free with two pills of purchase. Lee Merriweather. Ooh. That really happened. Yeah. Crazy. I don't want to keep gushing, but wow. Lee Merriweather. I know. It's, I don't know. It's crazy. Like, you know, as a little kid... Watching this movie, and this this movie came on frequently. I mean, it, oh yeah, it was a big Saturday yeah. uh, afternoon matinee on like ABC yeah. and stuff every every two or three months. Yep. And I remember in nineteen eighty, you know, nineteen eighty seven, and during the first Tim Burton film, mm-hmm. um, they TBS or TNT or one of those cable channels, uh, they started to air the nineteen sixty six Batman show again. After school, and they, it was like two back-to-back shows. Oh, I remember you that. Know? Yeah. So it was. Now I had already seen it plenty of times before. Uh, my dad played the uh, guitar, and he was—he's a self-taught guy. Um, he learned out in the range, you know. Of course, yeah. And uh, I remember when I was a little kid, he could play the little. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, it was awesome. Dad, a hero right there. He could do it, you know, like that, you know. And yeah, and then we got to talk to Lee Merriweather. And then Lee Merriweather. Yeah, and you know, and they they would they would actually they would chop up the movie and then make it like a to be continued. No, you know, show. So, you know, I saw this show many times and, you know, you know, uh, I think uh, Travis uh, Langley had the same kind of experience where I didn't even really know that there was two cat women. Oh, yeah. Well, there's actually three. Yeah. But, you know, but the difference between uh, Julie Newmar and Lee Merriweather. It didn't occur to me at at that age. Now it's very noticeable to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were young. We're innocent. Very innocent. Oh, but Lee Merriweather. Oh. All right, and now, look, I don't want to. I don't want to keep harping on uh, on on the other thing. I'm not trying to be judgmental here or anything, but mm-hmm. I can't. It it occurs to me, what would it be like, like in 1966, Lee Merriweather, dressed up as Catwoman, mm-hmm. walking around in a public space? I think it would have. I mean, I, I think it would have caused accidents. 
You know, I think it would have, you know, people oh, would have been yeah, gawking. Like people the old been, cartoons of guys with their heads out the window and yeah, tongues and, wagging. And, and then people are falling downstairs, you know. Like, yeah, I think it would have been chaos. That, you know? that, well, you know, that's probably just hopeful. Yeah, because you know, I, I don't or, or, know if she really, uh, if she would have received the kind of respect that, uh, like, uh, not that there was a, a comic convention back then, but uh, if you look at the the comic conventions now, and they're and the whole idea of cosplay and everyone, if you want to dress up like uh, Catwoman, do it when you go to Comic Con. There's a place. There's a, there's definitely a place yeah. for that. Unfortunately. Uh, since we're on the subject, uh, uh, you did find this article for me mm-hmm. about uh, this movement, the uh, Geeks for Consent, exactly. at geeksforconsent.org, mm-hmm. who are trying to make uh, the Comic-Con – they're, 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 they're running a petition. It's, it's in, a, in a nutshell. Yeah. It's cosplay doesn't equal consent. And the 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 overriding issue is that um, at these conventions where there's cosplayers, and yes, some of them are provocative and revealing, they are and they sexy are. And, yeah. and gorgeous, and and even you know there are there are times through no fault of their own, actually all the time, but through no fault of their own, some women are just knockout gorgeous no matter what they're wearing, and you know and. But if you kind of think about if Lee Merriweather in the 60s was walking around in a Catwoman outfit, um, the people, the mostly men, are not going to know how to behave. You know, there's going to be a process where in their minds this person is is not – is, is, I think you're tiptoeing around saying uh, they become – they objectify – they, when, when they see right. them dressed as something provocative, they say, aha, and their reptilian uh, brain switches on. Right. And, uh, and that is – well, that is worrisome. That's worrisome in every aspect. Of well, culture. and this, this ambiguity on how to behave or on how to see somebody um, is causing problems. And, you know, this, this goes back to when – you know, I was a little boy once. You were a little boy once. Somebody – down the line, told you, told me, don't touch girls, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You don't do that to girls, yeah. right? You know, and somebody shook their finger at you, and they said to don't to don't do this. The problem is, is that when when in our minds we objectify the women that we see, we see them as less of you know real people. Yeah. Obviously, more as objects. Yeah. And we're, we, we steal their humanity. We steal their from, humanity. We don't give them credit for being a person. And then all of a sudden, we can just touch them, or we can t- we can take pictures of them. You know, obviously, she must want this because look at how she's dressing. So I'm going to take a picture of it. That's that's what some people are doing. And uh, that's what, yeah, yeah. The uh, the whole uh, from from the uh, unwanted pictures, unwanted pictures, to groping. all the way to actual physical harassment. Right. It's at, happening at conventions, and it's making. People feel unsafe. And when I say people, I'm talking a vast majority of them, I think, would be female. Right. Would be these fangirls who we – we I'm not saying we men. It's our job to invite them, to let them feel welcome because it's everybody's job. It's everybody's job. Every, because this, we're talking about what we're proud to be in a culture of inclusion. And it's supposed to be a safe zone there. That's how we started the show. Where you should be allowed to dress up. for, And regardless of the fact that for every four fat Wolverines, you see a Laura Croft 
with basically painted on clothes. For every fat Wolverine, do you see a guy who's ripped like Hugh Jackman is? I mean, and that's yeah, yeah, and that's true too. Yeah. And uh, and and of course, it could cut both ways. I think there's there's groping uh-huh. to uh, to any number, regardless of, or member uh, 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 or member or member of uh, of uh, of of our culture of our of our brethren, right? Of our of our fellow man on the Comic Con floor. And what this petition is aiming to do is have the management of Comic Con be more explicit, because it turns out there is. Their sexual harassment guidelines is like a line. It's like one or two sentences buried in a 200-page handbook. And apparently they don't talk about it to the volunteers. Like there is no standalone policy what to do if you see somebody crossing the line, you know. Um, So nobody really has – there is – with a lack of policy comes a lack of responsibility, you know, yeah, and, on, and on behalf, on behalf of, of the management of the management. Yeah. And, you know, you know, one of their reasons for not explicitly outlining this um, problem is that if they actually feel that if you write this on paper and make a big deal about it, it will give the appearance that there's a lot of this going on, thus discouraging female participation you know, yeah. predominantly, yeah. you know, well, and or at least this is one of the lines we're getting from them. I, you know, from if uh, the, the Mary Sue dot com did a great piece about that, uh, where they kept where they repeatedly uh, talked to uh, to the management and saying, but this is why the policy isn't clear enough and direct enough. And he, uh, they were very vague and they kept coming back with lines like, well, if we start putting up signs, people there are going to think it's a big problem mm-hmm. and there's going to be less people showing up and. Blah blah blah. I'm sure plenty of these reasons have truth behind them, uh, but but they point out a certain reticence for uh, management to move forward with this. Yeah. And they say it doesn't matter what your political relations, you know, uh, uh, worries for the future are. If at the moment anyone at your event does not feel safe, you are failing in your job in enforcing. And all they're asking for with this petition, which is probably the first of many. Uh, you know, because this is how cultures slowly mm-hmm. uh, change and police themselves. It comes from the people up. Everybody knows mm-hmm. that. So, but but right now they're just asking for more uh, more posting of the policy, uh, better worded, more concise, or uh, uh, better worded, more direct, more specific policy training for uh, volunteers and security, and how to address grievances. Yeah, basically, and you know, I don't think that that's too much to ask. Yeah. You know, they're I, essentially just saying we should be talking more about it. You should be saying more about it. And the best excuse that the management can come up with is, the more we talk about it, the more it looks like it's a problem, mm-hmm. and we don't, and we don't want to say there's a problem. And you know, and I've been going to comic cons for twelve years or so. Um, you know, I have not been witness to real, real overt, you know, hands-on harassment and things like that. And I am not at all denying that it happens, you know, but it doesn't take many situations for it to be too much. You know, um, it just takes a cut, you know, it takes one or two for this thing to go too far. Um, especially if, if this was somebody's first con and yeah. if they're, it takes an awful amount of courage to dress, to put stuff on, you know, yeah. like to you have to be willing to be ridiculed and kind of be looked at oddly, 
be, you know, yeah. I'm not even By going out in public. Take, period. You have to accept take the that. sexuality out of it. Mm-hmm. it. You know, this is this is difficult. Yeah. Not to mention, you know, to be a cosplayer, you're not just putting on a suit like, you know, I'm like like this is Halloween and I'm I look like Batman. You take on the persona of that character, yeah. you know, which is exactly why it's so important to keep places like conventions that safe, warm nest, exactly. which is all they're asking to do. Right. Say, do a little more so that you can say it's safer instead of doing nothing and just saying there's no problem. Right. It's it's not doing enough for the people, in my opinion. Right. And I'm glad uh, I'm glad uh, geeksforconsent.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, is on it. Um, you know, I, yeah, there was a um, there was a local uh, news article uh, on the uh, NBC channel here that was kind of bringing it out. So um, I have all the faith in the world that Comic Con is going to you know address this in some way, and I think that it is responsible on their part. If I can defend them a little bit, it's responsible on their part to not jump at every single petition. You know, you you do have to look at it, but make sure you are. You know, look at this, listen to what these people are saying, you know, and do something about it. You know, like, you know, just going back to the beginning of the show, you are all invited here. Mm -hmm. If any place in the world, it's this place. Yeah. And, And we need to make sure we're doing everything. So, you know, why not just get consent? Right. Ask. You well, know? there's a funny line there, though. You know? I mean, yeah, if you want to grab someone's ass, you definitely ask. <laughs> if you want to take, uh, you know, a, a perhaps a gratuitous or a less than tasteful photo, you should ask. And but many in general, will, many will you welcome. still have to accept that you are in public, and you take any yeah. picture at any place in the comic room or at the comic con floor, it's going to include a hundred people, and you can't Absolutely. get permission from everybody. But be responsible. Right. There is there is a line which it becomes unenforceable, and you hope that the culture can keep itself together. Because ideally, no, you don't want signs up everywhere at Comic Con saying "Don't touch girls, even if they're dressed sexy." <laughs> what you want? You want eventually, for a generation or two from now, to say they actually had to put signs like that up. I don't mind being part of the the dumber generation if they're laughing at us a hundred years from now, if it's just something that's taken for granted and we can move on to having different problems. Well, but you know what? I mean, being offended by a no girls allowed t-shirt. Yeah. Not as bad. I think a message for a young girl at her first con as being groped. Well, that can change your life. I don't like that in that culture. I don't like that in my culture. I don't, I don't want it to, you know, not here. Not now, right? We don't want this, yeah. you know. And you know, uh, I love looking at cosplayers. It is awesome, mm-hmm. you know. Like when you are, you know, when even if you're not inside the actual con and you're walking around a couple blocks away, there's a stormtrooper and a troll at the line at the Starbucks, mm-hmm. you know. And there's just, you know, there's a gorgeous woman over here dressed as a fairy or whatever the heck, you know. And they're everywhere, and it's awesome. It's yeah. You know, I want to it's do everything. And that's it's otherworldly, yeah, exactly. And I want to do everything I can to make sure that these doors remain open, and people can come and feel that they can express themselves. And what it's really about, and what the Saturday morning show is about, is to feel and act on that passion. And these types of things, 
go against that. It, it puts a big wall in front of it. It's mm-hmm. exclusionary mm-hmm. from a, something as simple as a T-shirt that's, a, you know, to as bad as groping. To, and, yeah, and a full on, right. uh, you know, physical assault. These, these divide us, and we don't want it here. That's right. Right. Well said. So well said. all and that's and we're a couple of guys who are never going to really understand the female perspective on this culture, but I, I think it helps to be aware of these differences. Not the not the great ones that we can celebrate, but also the unavoidable ones that men's reptilian brains mm-hmm. are difficult, horrible places to to process exactly. some 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 visual information, but and. And if nothing else, we need to set an example as our culture by cleaning out the cons of that, by changing the mindset slowly. And then eventually it can spread to everyone everywhere. I, right, right. Maybe I'm being hopeful, but well, look, men look, will never fully understand women. But it's, the least we a, can do is respect. There, the, all that Geeks for Consent really want, Comic-Con to do, and supported by the Mary Sue, is they just want them to start to acknowledge it and bring awareness to it because what's happening is that it's basically 1966 in some people's heads. You know, go back that far. Lee, Lee Merriweather is at the mall and she's dressed as Catwoman and we don't know how to handle it. We're forgetting so that all we got to do is just kind of start, just bring a little attention to it. So if we can just do a little bit, we can kind of start to move that in the right direction. And we got to, we have, we have a problem solved and well, let's hope, but well, we have, a, we have progress Yeah. and you know, the objectification is coming out of our heads. Yeah. Yeah. That we are responsible for it. That's it's absolutely not we what, as men. It's not what she wears. It is. Well, we, whoever, if you ever look at someone and see an object, don't blame that person for objectifying themselves. That is technically impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever, whatever they were going for, it's, it's what is created in your head. And that's what's becoming this, this, that's what's getting out of hand. Yeah. Yeah. So it, let, it, let's just, we have it in our power to stop it, I think. Exactly. We just have to fight that caveman instinct to go grab a, a to go grab her by the hair and drag her back to your <laughs> yeah. back to your cave. Piece of wood. Well, I hit my women with wood. You don't? Is that Okay, a... on that note. <laughs> hey. <laughs> so yeah. All right. Well, I, I definitely we, we I don't think we've solved a problem, but uh, we're talking about it. That's what that's what's important. Yeah. That's right. what we set out to do. And hopefully you're going to keep talking about it. I, yeah. At least, you know, again, guys, it's awareness. You know, let's not do these things. Don't touch girls. Yeah. Unless you want you to. Would you, would you go feel up Lee Merriweather? Oh, no, you wouldn't. Not so shame on you. It's <laughs> horrible to think that. Who would yeah. dare touch her? Exactly. It's not like she's a piece of meat. She's this a is Lee Merriweather. Did you not hear the... All right. See, I'm getting worked up again. I think it's... Piece of I think it's time to say goodbye. The... Uh, Oh. The, the the cartoons are over. Yep. The milk is starting to curdle in the bowl, and uh, yeah, I want to go take my nap. Mm-hmm. I've had enough of this. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Yeah.